All right, friends, we're going to have a little teaching today. And Becca, if I start to suck wind or when it's time for application, you just come right back, okay? Might need some help. All right, friends, um, it always helps if you have your notes. It always helps if you have your sermon notes. Hey, there you go. I, uh, I'm wondering, Becca, I don't even know if you're old enough. Did you remember the movie Home Alone? Yes. Oh, absolutely. I don't know what year was that, like 2001, 2002? Do you remember that? Do you guys remember Home Alone? Um, I love that movie for a lot of reasons. One, Macaulay Culkin, the main character, used to do this, like that. And uh, my son, when he would do it, looked exactly like Macaulay Culkin at the same age. But uh, that was a 1990 blockbuster. 1990. Wow. I don't think y'all were, were y'all born then? Yeah, anyway, so I guess you saw it on rerun. Uh, but the story is an eight-year-old boy, Kevin McAllister, who's played by Macaulay Culkin. He uh, has to defend his home against two burglars, uh, and his family leaves on their Christmas vacation. And uh, the movie's called Home Alone, and it's funny, and he does all kinds of tricks and funny things. But the main thing is, what's the title of the movie? Home Alone. And it was fun for a while, but then pretty soon Kevin McAllister, i.e. Macaulay Culkin, realized it's not so fun being home alone. He was lonely. He missed his family. And I was thinking this week, what would it be like if the Lord had never sent the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father that, that Becker read about in Acts? What if he had never sent the Holy Spirit? And, and how often do we live in a way that we almost think, God, where are you? Are we home alone? Are we on earth? And like, God, where are you in this time of pandemic? We're in like a week 11 or 12, and this is a hard time. And I wonder, like the psalmist, do we say, Lord, seriously? Seriously, Lord, where are you? Come be with us. Send your spirit. We feel alone. Um, you've promised not to leave us as orphans, but Lord, our, our experience right now for some may be, I feel like an orphan. I feel like um, I'm on the planet with no help. But what I want to encourage us this morning is... Um, that the Lord has not left us as orphans. He has sent his spirit to be with us. And Jesus said, it's actually even better that I return to the Father, that I ascend, this is Ascension Sunday, that I ascend back to the Father um, so that the Holy Spirit can be with every Christian all the time. Whether you live in India or Romania or Rwanda or Southeast or Bent Mountain or wherever you live, the Holy Spirit of God can not only be with you, but he also can indwell you. When Jesus was on the earth, he could only be in one place at one time. And that's why he says, it's better that I go to the Father because he's going to send the promise. But also I want to say this, um, in terms of things being hard on earth, uh, if you've read your Bible, if you can get out of um, fluffy devotionals, if you can actually get out of fluffy devotionals that just tickle your ears, and you actually read what Jesus said. If you read the word of God, Jesus promised us a lot of things. But three things that, that I thought of this week. Uh, he said, in this world, you will have tribulation and persecution. Excuse me? What was that, Jesus? Hey, wait a minute. I just thought this was a birthday party. I just thought this was a good time. I mean, you're supposed to bring life fulfillment. Have life and have it to the full. That's true. He did say that, and he does bring that. But he also promised his early followers. He just told them the truth. He said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have persecution. They're going to hand you over to the synagogues. And some of you are going to be put to death. And um, for those of you who are Bible files, right, those who love God's word, 
you could look these passages up. John 16, 33, Matthew 24, 9, and Mark 13, 9. Uh, you can look those up, but the, the punchline is Jesus promised in this world we're going to have persecution. In other words, his kingdom is not of this world. He's bringing a new kingdom, the kingdom of God. And not everyone likes the kingdom of God. Uh, you notice they killed Jesus, right? And if they hated him, they're going to hate you as well because you're his followers, his disciples. Jesus promised, hey, don't be surprised. There's going to be tribulation. There's going to be persecution. That's number one. Number two, the Lord does promise. He says, I will never leave you as an, I will not never leave you nor forsake you. I will come to you. I will not leave you as an orphan. I will come to you. And if you want to see those verses, you can look in Hebrews 13, verse 4, which actually is quoting the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 31, 6. The promise of the Lord, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And can I say on a personal note that in probably the three or four hardest times of my life where I was not feeling happy, I was not feeling anything but sorrow and misery and sadness, that we could testify what the scripture says is true, that the Lord did not leave us. In, in, in a time of hardest pain, the Lord did exactly what he promised to do. He came to us by the Spirit. He lifted up our arms. He gave us hope. He was the lifter of our head. So the, the Lord does promise tribulation and persecution. He also promises to never leave us or forsake us. Friends, I would say this. If you feel the Lord has left you or forsaken you, um, don't feel bad for even thinking that. The psalmist felt that. If you read the 150 Psalms, I've, I've read that as much as 40 to 50% of the Psalms are Psalms of lament, where people said to the, to the Lord, God, where are you? God, this is terrible. This is miserable. Show up, God. Show yourself strong. And so the Lord promises us in his word to never leave or forsake us. There's another promise. The third promise, before we actually dive into our text for today, is the Lord promises to send his Holy Spirit. He said, um, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to be your guide, your teacher, your comforter, your helper. The promise from the Lord is that God himself, the Holy Spirit's not a gas. I don't know why I thought that, Becca and, and Josh. I don't know why I thought the Holy, Holy Ghost what was a gas. When we were growing up, they called the Holy Spirit the Holy Ghost. And what image does a child have of a ghost but some kind of ethereal, creepy, white, opaque being? No, no, no. But what the Lord has said is, look, there is one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. There's one God, and he's known as God the Father. He's revealed as God the Father. He's revealed as God the Son, and he's revealed as God the Holy Spirit. And he says, just as the Father sent the Son into the world, not to condemn, but to save. So now the Father and the Son send the Spirit as a pledge of his love and of his coming kingdom, but also to empower God's people. And so those are the three promises. Tribulation and persecution. He'll never leave us or forsake us. And he promises to send God the Spirit to be with us, to encourage us, and to live inside of us. Now, let's go to the actual text you have your Bibles, turn to Acts uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And it starts out, and it says, In the first book, in the first book, O Theophilus. Okay, so the first thing I want to do is, that's a weird name. And who am I to talk about strange names? My name is Quig. My dad's like, 
you're going to name your son Quig, aren't you? And I'm like, no, Dad, I'm not. I spent so many hours, hundreds, thousands of hours explaining my name. Quig, was that short for something? Is that a nickname? Like, what country does that come from? Whatever. Uh, I just, I love my name. I'm not ashamed of it. I just don't want my son to have to spend another 5,000 hours explaining his name. So then we gave him the name Fleet, which my wife jokes is, that probably calls for explanation as well. But he, perfect for a Navy guy. But in this, in Acts 1, it says, in this first book, O Theophilus. Theo in Greek means God, Theo, right? And, and Phylus, Phylus in Greek means lover of, right? Lover of. Like a stamp lover is what? A philatelist or something like that if I pronounce it right. Phylus means one who loves. Theo means God. So these people named their son Theophilus, lover of God. And you think about it, that child was named, uh, he was named by his parents. And how did they know he, how he would turn out? But their prayer for their child is that he would be a lover of God. Isn't that your prayer? Isn't that your prayer for your children? Or those who are my age and up, isn't that your prayer for your grandchildren? Or even if you don't have um, biological children, you have children in the Lord. You have children God has put in your circle of influence. Um, don't you want those kids to grow up to be lovers of God? And I wouldn't say grow up. Hey, when they get 30, they can love God. No, we want them to love God now. The scripture says, how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures to make you wise to salvation. We don't want our kids to go off and eat with the pigs. We want them to know the Lord from the earliest time. And so as this, we're reading the book of Acts, it says, in this first book, O Theophilus. So we know that Theophilus uh, was a lover of God. And who's writing? Who's writing? Who's speaking here? Well, the person who's writing and speaking is a Gentile physician. And for those of you who say, oh, Christianity is an opiate of the people. Christianity is for people who have dull minds. I would say, really? Really? There are people that have an IQ a lot higher than yours and a lot higher than mine who embrace the gospel and who love the Lord. There are people with multiple PhDs that embrace the gospel and love the Lord. And so the, the man who's writing this book, the man who was used by God to write this book, is a physician. He, he's a medical doctor, right? Everybody talks about science, science, science. That's a whole different discussion. I love science. I have a bachelor of science, um, but I don't. I don't think science is, is the kingdom, right? Science, if you study science, there have been many times where science believes something and then later it proves not to be true. Again, we don't have to have a war, but what I'm saying is um, the man who wrote this book, the book of Acts, was a learned man. He was a man of high IQ and disciplined. And it says in this first book, O Theophilus, so when it says that, what's the first book, Right? So we're in the book of Acts, and he's saying, in the first book, O Theophilus, um, what was the first book? What did Luke write? What did this physician write other than the book of Acts? Well, he wrote, it's kind of easy, isn't it? He wrote the book of Luke. So Luke and Acts were actually one, they were combined, Luke and Acts. So he says, in the first book, O Theophilus, um, he goes, I have done what? I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Um, I love this. So, so Luke, the physician who wrote the Gospel of Luke, who's now writing the book of Acts, which tells about the, 
how the church functioned in the early days, he, he's referring back to the Gospel of Luke, and he says, you know, in that book, uh, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he ascended or was taken up. You can read about that in John 21, 25. Um, now, did Luke write every single thing that Jesus did? I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, even in the scriptures themselves, it says, you know, if we were to record everything that Jesus did, there'd be no end. There'd be no end to the number of books that would have to be written to record all the gifts and graces and awesome things that the Lord did. But from Dr. Luke's perspective, he's basically saying, you know what, I've covered, I've covered the life of Jesus. Everything I know about the Lord that I learned after making a careful study um, and investigating, I have shared all these things with you guys so you could be fully informed. He says, I've dealt with it all, all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And he says, until the day he was taken up. You know, this is Ascension Sunday. This is the Sunday where the church recognizes that Jesus was, uh, he suffered, he was put to death, he was raised on the third day, and then came back to earth, and for 40 days, he taught his disciples more about the kingdom, about the kingdom of God, uh, and he had many convincing proofs, and it says, then he went back to the Father, just as he promised, because he said, it's better that I go to the Father, uh, because I'm going to be at his right hand, I'm going to be making prayers and intercessions for you. I'm going to think about that. You have the greatest prayer warrior. You have the greatest intercessor in the history of intercessors. He is the one who invented prayer. He is sitting at the Father's right hand. You have God the, Holy, uh, God the Son sitting next to God the Father praying for you right now. So friends, no matter what's going on in your life, do you understand who God's appointed to pray for you? And so he says, um, I have dealt with it all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken back up into heaven after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Now, you notice here that Luke is very clear. He's not, um, I feel like often this is the, the challenge for preachers. We want people to like us. We want to keep our buildings full. You know, um, a lot of people think the more seats in the pew, more fannies in the pew, that, you know, the more successful you are. But it is, it is the job of the church. It is the job of pastors to teach all that the Lord has commanded us. Isn't that what he says in the Great Commission? Go into all nations and make disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always. And so the Lord really cares. He expects it is a command that we teach all that he has commanded us to do. Uh, again, friends, this is not legalism. It's not legalism to teach the truth. It's not legalism to, to teach the way. It's actually the most loving thing we can do. The scripture says of itself, God's commands are not, they're not burdensome. They're our very life. And I know um, Becca and, and, and Josh and friends at home, there are many times where I thought, oh, Lord, seriously, this just seems like a 613 commands in the Old Testament. Heck, I can't even love God and love my neighbor very well. And sometimes it can start to feel like a burden. But, but the truth is, that's a lie. God's word is not a burden. God's word, even the law of God, is perfect. It's holy, reviving the soul. God's law was given not to um, 
say, hey, do these things and you'll, you'll, you'll win relationship with me. Do these things and you'll earn a place in heaven. No. The purpose of God's law, the purpose of God's law is to be a mirror that is held up to us. And we realize when we see God's law that we do not keep God's law. Uh, the Bible says that the law is a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. And that's a fancy phrase, but basically what it means is when we read God's law, like uh, have no other gods, no idols, uh, don't take the Lord's name in vain, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, honor your father and mother. Oh boy, we all busted that one. Uh, don't commit murder. And Jesus said, if you even look at somebody with anger in your heart, you've committed murder. Do not commit adultery. Um, next one, uh, do not steal. Do not bear false testimony. Do not covet. Those are just the, the 10 commandments, but there's 613 laws in the Old Testament. And when we read those, what we realize is, drum roll please, we cannot keep them very well at all. We don't keep God's law. And what, when we read God's law, what we realize is we are in desperate need of a savior. I don't care what other things are fine in your head. As you read God's law, his, his law is good, it's holy, and its purpose is to show you that you need a savior. That's the purpose of the law. And there's some other purposes as well. I mean, it does prevent chaos. I'm glad that God's law says, um, thou shall do no murder, right? If, he, if we didn't have that command, um, think how chaotic our world and our country would be. But God has spoken. He hates the shedding of innocent blood. All right, so let's keep going. Um, let's look in verse 3. So it says in verse 3, He presented himself. Who's he? Again, whenever you read the Bible, usually when they say he, they're talking about the Lord. Uh, Jesus presented himself alive to them, meaning the disciples. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. He presented himself alive. Um, friends, you want to talk about evidence? Um, a lot of secular people. I was thinking of uh, the guy Lee Strobel, who is, uh, he was a journalist, I believe, for the Chicago Tribune. He also had a law degree, and he was not a believer. I think he was an atheist or agnostic, whatever. Um, he wanted to investigate the claims of Jesus like so many have done, and he did the hard work. He did the hard work. His mind was trained as an attorney, he did the hard work. And when he actually read uh, the promises and he read about the many, many appearances of Jesus to the women, to the 12, uh, on and on and on, to more than 500, to the, to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He came to the conclusion that Jesus is Lord, he is Messiah, and he was raised from the dead. Uh, bottom line is, let me ask you a question. If you don't believe in the resurrection, where's Jesus' body? Where's his body? You know what? If you want to find the, the body of my two grandfathers, you can find them. I can take you to Richmond. You can see where they're buried. If you want to see my two grandmothers, you can find where they're buried. Um, Jesus, uh, you can read in the scriptures. They were very concerned that somebody would come steal the body and thus uh, give, uh, what would the word be? Becca, help me. Um, would give credence that, that, um, that Jesus was raised from the dead. So they put guards, centurions at the grave, right? And, and there, there were bribes given. But what we do know is that um, Jesus did appear 
And people who had been completely scared, completely afraid to speak up, even deny Jesus, like Peter, even deny him, even lie, say, oh, no, I don't, I don't know the man. Uh, they were so convinced by his resurrection appearances. They were so certain, so sure that they became emboldened to preach God's word, to preach the kingdom of God, to preach Jesus as Messiah, and they were willing to be martyred, to be willing to be killed. So you got to say, friends, nobody does that because of wishful thinking. They knew Jesus had been raised from the dead. They saw Jesus. They ate, they ate with Jesus, right? They were with him. And so he gave, he did, after he suffered, he presented himself alive. He gave many, many proofs. How many proofs do you need? How many thousands of people? How many tens of thousands? How many hundreds of thousands of changed lives do you need to hear from? People would say, you know what? I was on heroin. I was on meth. I was on something. Or I was, my life was a train wreck. Or maybe I was eaten up with pride. But the Lord did the most unexpected thing. He came and he rescued me and he made me new. God did this. This not of myself. God did this through many uh, he appeared with many proofs during the 40 days speaking about the kingdom of God. Friends, I got to ask you a question. Pastors, I got to ask you a question. How often do we speak about the kingdom of God? You know, if I were just from another planet and I landed on earth, tuned into most uh, TV shows, you know, religious TV shows, I would think they're more concerned about the kingdom of earth. They're more concerned about helicopters and personal jets and money. And yet, what Jesus cared about, the, the, reason, the reason he came and the reason he was willing to die is he wanted to bring the kingdom of God to this broken earth, the earth that started out so beautiful, so perfect in the garden, but then sin entered the world and all kinds of brokenness. And you know the brokenness. We could even write in, how do you see the brokenness of the world? Uh, when I, I remember the first time I was reading the Bible, um, and I was not a Christian when I was reading it for the first time. But as I read it, I said, you know what, Lord, things are broken. They're so broken, and I can't make any sense of it. But when I read about what happened with the fall, I realized um, what Jesus says is true. And we do need to be part of the kingdom of God. And that only comes when he gives us a new birth. You don't just slide into the kingdom of God. You don't get into the kingdom of God by joining a church, though church membership is important. You get into the kingdom of God by becoming a Christian. You confess with your mouth and you believe and trust in your heart that Jesus is Lord and he is Savior. And so Jesus did all the heavy work. He proved uh, through many convincing proofs that he is Messiah. Now let's get to verse 4 because time's, time's a wasted. Time's a wasted. It says, and while staying with them, while Jesus was staying with the apostles, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise. And I think we sing a song like that, waiting for the promise. Jesus ordered them not to depart Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which uh, he heard from them. And Becca, come on up, because I'm, I'm going to tell you a story. Okay. And i got to ask you a question. So I noticed you've got a nice shawl on, a nice uh, shirt and, and, and pants. <laughs> so have you ever done your wash and then you forget, like it's in the dryer, and maybe your dryer was a little hot or you, you let it go too long? Yes. And then how yeah. did that look 
When oh. you pulled it out of the dryer. A lot smaller. It just happened to be with a pair of sweatpants, actually, that I just bought. They were, per like, perfectly fit me. And then they came out about, you know, this much too short on my legs. It was, it was yeah, like I keep telling my wife, the, the, the problem with my pants is not that I'm eating more. It's just her dryer keeps shrinking uh, them. Yes. But, but, the, but the point is, friends, the point would be, like, if you put your clothes in the dryer and they're all wet, maybe overload the dryer and just put it on hot, when you pull them out, they're not going to look like they came from the dry cleaner. They're going to look awful. We used to have an assistant uh, pastor here. I won't mention any names. He's one of my good buddies. And I say, I say, Mr. Dave, you look like you came out of a clothes hamper. And I said, brother, you got to get yourself an iron. So that's the point, right? So when your clothes are all wrinkled, what do you got to do? Well, most iron people, them. you got to iron <laughs> yes. them. Have you ever done this? So you, you say, you know what? These pants or this shirt look terrible. They're all crink, crinked up. So let's iron them. So you're going to get your nice iron out. You're going you're gonna to have some spray or spray in the iron. Mm -hmm. And once it gets up to temperature, you're going to start ironing, right? And if you do that and that hot steam comes out, what happens to your wrinkled garment? They'll be pressed. They'll be good. Muy yep. bueno, right? <laughs> kind of like a new creation. Exactly. Well, one day I was ironing and I was like, what the heck? What the heck is going on here? Was Iron. And so I just tried, you know. Just like people speak to somebody from a different country and they, they say something and they don't understand Shouting it, it really they just loud. get louder and say it again and again. So I just kept ironing and ironing. And then all of a sudden, I realized, you know the problem? My iron was not plugged in. There's no power. How's an iron work with no power? It can't. Yeah. It's like a car with no power. How's it work? It doesn't. And so with Jesus, Jesus is giving an order here. A lot of uh, Christians just think, Jesus, he's such a nice man. He's just kind of a doting, like an old doting grandfather. He kind of says, y'all do what you want. Do what you want. No, Jesus is Lord. He's king. And his, his commands are not burdensome, but they're still commands. And he gave commands to the church. And in this case, he gave the disciples a very specific command. Do not leave where you live. Do not leave the city of Jerusalem until you get the Holy Spirit. Wait Wait for the promise of the Father. In other words, don't go out and try to do ministry in your own strength. You know why? Why, Becca? You can't. <laughs> Just like the iron was a major fail with no power. Right. How would the disciples have done if they were going, let's go for Jesus? They wouldn't have been effective, and they wouldn't have brought glory to God. It would be out of their own flesh. Yes. So, and guess yeah. what? None of us would know the Lord at all. No. But, but because Jesus gave a command and they obeyed, mm. the, they waited till the Holy Spirit came, the promise of the Father came, so they had God's power and God's strength. We can't do anything. Mm. I can't convince anybody to believe, mm -mm. right? I can't bring conviction of sin. I can, I can throw guilt at you. I can't bring true um, godly sorrow that leads mm. to repentance. I can't do that. Mm. I can't give you hope. But God's word and the Holy Spirit taking God's word can do that by his power. Mm. So he ordered them to stay, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise. And then the last verse is this, for John baptized with water, but he says, you, my followers, uh, uh, my apostles, my disciples, you guys are going to be baptized, not just with water, but with, with God's Holy Spirit, N not many days from now. So Jesus, after, after giving them an order, says, I got good news for you. Hmm. I am going to send God, the Holy Spirit, to come and live inside of you. If you're having any issues this morning about well, I just, I don't, you know, my self-worth is really bad. Let me tell you something. Christ died for you. That should change your view of yourself. Christ gave his life for you. And if you're a Christian, 
the Lord has promised that the Spirit of God, God himself, will live and take residence in you. Can you imagine that? That is outrageous that the God of the universe who created all these beautiful things we're seeing, the God of the universe would come and make his dwelling inside of us. And so he says, yes, John baptized with water, but uh, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In other words, I'm going to send my spirit and the Holy Spirit's going to be in and through you. It's going to immerse you much like putting cloth in a, in a big vat of dye. The Holy Spirit of God is going to come in and through you and it's actually going to change you. And so you cannot be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. We are all baptized by the one spirit uh, into the one body. Uh, 1 Corinthians, I think it's 12, 13. We are all baptized by the one spirit into the one body. You cannot be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. So I appreciate a lot of folks saying, you know, I got saved on this day, but then I was baptized in the Spirit later. That pattern is not found in Scripture. Um, the, the, the normative pattern is when you receive the Lord, right, He gives the Holy Spirit. You cannot be a Christian and not have the Spirit. You can be a Christian and grieve the Spirit, right? You can be a Christian and not obey but according to Scripture, you cannot be a believer without the Holy Spirit. And so he, the Lord is promising us his power to live the Christian life. It's actually mission critical. The Lord said it's better that he go away and that he would send the Holy Spirit to baptize and fill and be with you. Um, and so what a great promise that is. But here's where we end. So what, Becca? Like every time I preach, I want to hear that in the back of my head. I want to, I want to go, so what? Are we just talking magpies? What difference does it make that God promised to send the Holy Spirit into our lives? What difference practically does it make? Especially in this time of COVID, we're in week 11 maybe. Uh, people losing jobs, things are hard, a lot of sad things going on. What difference does it make whether God sent the Holy Spirit or not? We know that he did. But my, my question for you is, practically speaking, why do you think it might make a difference that God actually sent his Holy Spirit to you? Yeah, well, I think, first of all, the scripture um, in Luke that you read before uh, we started the sermon about how Christ is, or the Holy Spirit is interceding for us. Mm -hmm. He's praying for us. And now we don't have to go to a temple or um, go through all these rituals before we can approach God that the Holy Spirit can intercede for us on um, and speak to the Father on our behalf. And I think that's been a comfort to me in just the past couple weeks of mm. I can go walking in my neighborhood and see these amazing creations all around me of the trees and the flowers. And uh, well, when it was raining, it was a little bit different. But, yeah. <laughs> but still, just um, seeing the glory and the handiwork of God and then be able to speak to him right then and there. Or in the times where I have felt really down, because I'll be honest, the um, it, it's hard, you know, with this pandemic, um, even is. though my job is secure and our family is doing fine financially, just the, um, there's a lot going on right now. That's a really heavy stuff. So the fact that we can come before our God and the Holy Spirit is there to intercede for us is, is huge. Um, but then I think about how, you know, he equips us too. And, um, yeah, to go out and to share that joy and that, um, hope that we have with others too. I, I think honestly, it's, it's so, it's so intricate. I can't even say the word. Intricately, it's yes. so much a part of the gospel. It like is. if the Lord had just, you know, if he had died and, and purchased for us salvation and said, hey, you know, I'll, I'll see you in 50 years. Mm -hmm. Hope it goes well for you on earth. Like, and oh, by the way, keep my commandments 
and be about the Great Commission. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> right? Good luck. The, the beauty of this is, is that God sending the Spirit, one, shows how much he loves you and how much he values you. I mean, as Psalm 8 says, who are we, God? Who are we that you would take note of us? Mm. Right? I mean, sometimes we get on our high horse think we're something special. We're, not, we're nothing special. We're sinners deserving of God's wrath. But in his mercy, as we prayed earlier, in his mercy, God came not to condemn but to save, and not simply to save, but he wants, he wants us to be his foot soldiers in a new kingdom. Yeah. And he's going to give us the power to do that. Because the, 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 the truth is, you know what? I don't have enough love in me to love the way Jesus called me to love. Mm. I don't have enough wisdom in me to talk anybody into the faith. I can't do any of the works God has prepared for me to walk in without his power. But the great news and part of the gospel is he has given us all we need. We lack nothing. Um, that, that's, that is so much a part of the gospel. We are not orphans. We have everything we need for life and godliness. And so the Spirit of God lives inside of you. Remember, you are God's temple. You are bought with a price. He lives inside of you, and he will teach you. He will encourage you. He will comfort you. You don't have to be wondering about a God who's far off on a cloud. No, he's God, fully God. The Holy Spirit is right there, right there with you. You are not alone. You have everything you need for life and godliness by the Spirit. Amen.